Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've got a team member within your pharmacy who you're desperate to release back into the workforce because they can't quite fit in despite looking all the goods on paper when you recruited them. Or they may have just handed in an impromptu resignation notice and you're left scratching your head. Often it comes back to not being aligned with the core values of your business. And this week we're joined by Cetal Gill, the Chief Pharmacist at Lion Retail Management, who's going to share with us how we can discover our core values and really connect it with our team to achieve remarkable success. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need to build your smarter, more successful 21st century business before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours, all the way through to episode 91. Big show today, and I don't just say that because it's another big show. Every week's a big show, but this week we're really going to tackle one of the biggest issues that face us every single day in managing our people. We've all been left scratching our heads, wondering sometimes why our team have made a decision to leave or why they haven't worked out the way we'd hoped when we interviewed them. And we're really going to tackle the cause in uncovering our core values with a fantastic guest today of Cetal Gill. And you may know Cetal as also the owner of Australia's biggest pharmacy, and therefore, by default, will almost have the Australia's biggest pharmacy team. And how he's achieved remarkable success has a lot to do with the time he's put into the fundamentals of discovering the core values but more on that later. We've got time for a very quick check-in with you and we're going to get across to Cetal because this week is going to be part one of a two-part series. We're going to uncover our core values this week and leave a great action step and some great exercises to do before we come back next week and go through how that affects your recruitment and your induction, which are the two key markers of making sure that when you hire people, they are aligned to your team and also your core values as well. How's your week been? Has it been a good one? It is certainly hotting up down here in Melbourne, but then again, it's cooling down as well. Our weather is all over the place if you've been visiting in the last week or so, but hopefully you're all getting ready to gear up for a bumper Christmas period. We've been talking about goals for a past couple of weeks and goals in relation to our people and our teams should be right at the forefront, particularly in this episode as well. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. And for you, the listeners of The Transformation Show, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I'm going to recommend you listen to Jim Collins, Good to Great. It is on my list as well, and you'll know why after this interview as well. 
which you can download or another audiobook for free by trying audible.com. To download your free audiobook today, of course, after listening to this show, you can head across to audibletrial.com forward slash transformation. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash transformation. Without further ado, we're off to Seattle for our interview. Our interview today is with Seetal Gill. He's a pharmacist with 15 years experience and is a poster boy for trying to get into pharmacy ownership, failing and eventually getting there. He's owned three pharmacies, of which he still currently owns two, as part of the Lion Retail Management Group, which has managed up to 15 pharmacies. And Seetal wants to be known as the go-to performance culture individual in pharmacy. Seetal Gill, welcome to The Transformation Show. It is fantastic to be here. Oh, look, fantastic to have you, Seidel. And I don't think there's uh, never been a better time to be having this conversation, particularly around uh, creating and managing and uh, looking after our people uh, in a dynamic way. And uh, I know having enjoyed your session at uh, the recent Pharmacy Business Network, I know that our listeners are in for a great treat today. That's very kind of you, Robert. Uh, I'll do my best. (laughs) (laughs) So when did you know pharmacy was for you and uh, why are you so passionate about it? I finished high school very young. Um, I, I think I was 16 at the time. And I've got a neurological condition called Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease. And that was really starting to manifest at the time. I was passionate about um, helping people. That's uh, still one of my key personal core values. But I wasn't sure necessarily what would be a good career given some of the physical limitations that I was likely to experience. Uh, and pharmacy seemed to make a lot of sense. I'd done some work experience um, in one of the AMCAL chemists up in, in Darwin and the level of respect that I saw for pharmacists and the problem-solving mentality they brought to the profession uh, really appealed to me at the time. And certainly going to the University of Sydney, very daunting, but having the opportunity to meet a lot of other pharmacists around Sydney. I'm, I remain a fan of going into somebody's store and having a conversation with them about the profession and certainly would encourage anyone that's planning to be a pharmacist to do that. Uh, pharmacists tend to be, depending on the time of day and how many customers they've got in front of them, pretty generous with their time to wax lyrical about the profession. Doing that certainly helped to get me even more enthused and, and I'm very momentum-based um, in whatever I'm passionate about. When I persist in, and feed on the energy of those around me, that's when the really interesting uh, value that I can provide back to the profession emerges. Yeah, yeah. No, look, it's, you know, a great thing, obviously, to find out from those who have been around the block a few times, you know, why why they are in pharmacy business. And, you know, often we find that there are, you know, specialist services and roles that they play beyond uh, the case of their existing pharmacy. I know being a second generation pharmacist myself, uh, looking at my dad growing up, he would often be doing tax returns for his community and a whole lot of other things that were well over and above the uh, call of duty for a pharmacist. And it's, uh, very, very unique. And I guess going through university, you would have had ideas as to what your first pharmacy would perhaps look like. And, you know, did it involve technology? Absolutely. Um, back when the Pharmacy of the Year Award was writing an essay as opposed to the counselling competition it is these days, uh, the essay topic that I had was to envisage what pharmacy in the future might look like. And uh, my essay really did cover a lot around 
the idea of a health record that was accessible on a card and that people could take everywhere with them so that we didn't have this first principles re-explaining of uh, the various health conditions somebody had. And from a personal point of view, having tried to explain to people and, and being sometimes a one-man education crew on Charcot-Marie tooth disease, I thought it would be so much easier if we could just have that on a credit card style of format and be able to share that with people and educate them at the same time. Because there are a lot of doctors that don't really know um, much about a, a condition that has an incidence of one in 3,000 in Australia, which is pretty, uh, pretty common. As, as most diseases go. So I've always been committed to technology and how it can remove the miscommunication in, uh, in between health professions and also within pharmacy itself. Yeah, well, certainly, uh, I think the whole retelling the healthcare story is just so rife in prevalence throughout our communities, irrespective of which part of Australia it is. Quite often you'll say, have a particular conversation with a doctor, then you'll have to retell the same story to a pharmacist of why they've prescribed something for you. And, uh, you know, it doesn't allow for a lot of synergies to exist. And certainly that collaboration barrier uh, gets threatened every time we dare pick up a phone and ask to please explain. And uh, certainly to be able to continue that conversation right throughout a patient's primary healthcare journey is, I think, a great goal. And hopefully, as we're starting to see the uh, improvements and uh, developments around the electronic health record, um, that, you know, hopefully that'll be where we end up in the not too distant future. I certainly hope so. I, I thought it was a big deal when the PCEHR was proposed. Um, as an opt-in, I, I, I really wanted it to be opt-out from the get-go. Um, and I, I guess it's, it's very Australian of us to have it as an opt-in, but it's severely underutilised and I'd love to see it used um, far, far more than it currently is. And I, I look forward to that day happening in the next year, if possible. Oh, look, it'd be, it'd be terrific. And I think, uh, you know, following those best practice examples, I know the uh, the head of uh, Telstra Health at the moment, Shane Solomon, had a great experience throughout Hong Kong and getting their electronic health record up and going. But, you know, he did share, you know, all the way back when we were first engaging in the e-health records, um, you know, that it was going to probably take a good 10 years, uh, despite whatever resources the government had planned to throw at it. And, uh, you know, it is a progressive journey, but certainly one that offers great opportunity for pharmacists to play a better role in primary healthcare if we're allowed to and be part of that conversation rather than just always writing prescription information back um, in that supply-based culture and not really getting involved in uh, the decision-making or contributions throughout it. And I guess, you know, that's part of the uh, the transformation, be it a pun of words on this show, um, you know, that we've experienced in the last 15 years progressing towards a, a different uh, environment and opportunity. But, you know, what have you seen, I guess, in the last 15 years, you know, many changes have happened, PBS reform, very well documented, operating costs going up. But, you know, what it's been your take on it and I guess where do you see that going? I think there was a time when I saw the developments within pharmacy as an industry in the past decade and thought, wow, we're doing tremendously well based on when I was an intern in 1999, what was readily available to us. Um, having now become a fan and a student of other industries, I, I realised just how slow we've been in progress. And it is exciting. Um, when I have in the past headed over to Expo Farm, the Robotic Pharmacy Expo, which generally takes place in Germany and Munich or Dusseldorf, 
and seeing what is readily available in terms of some of the prototypes um, of machines for dispensing machines, also for sachet packing machines for aggregating medication and the Webster style um, pack machines. But in, in many ways, it is like being part of a, a fictional story over there because it seems so far removed from what I end up seeing in Australia. And part of that is distance, part of that is readiness as well, both of suppliers to have something that is affordable and mobile enough to be placed in our pharmacies and the willingness of pharmacists to take some of the risks and, and put that technology within to their stores. Um, I also see real opportunity in communicability, I think, of health information. And ERX was exciting and remains exciting, uh, particularly the QR codes that are on scripts and being able to scan those on smartphones. Um, in my Beck Street Mall store uh, down in Melbourne and in uh, Wynyard, the store I've got in Sydney CBD, we are seeing some uptake on that, but nowhere close to enough. All of that is very exciting, though, and to remove transcription errors and to remove communication errors, it's wonderful. Um, but we could we could be in a far more exciting place, I think. Yeah, look, certainly, I think you know the biggest barriers we tend to tend to look at there is you know the capital expenditure and perhaps that uh, you know paying reference to that burning platform syndrome we've been sitting on it for perhaps too long and it's starting to get very very hot and we want something that's just going to work straight away and uh, as we were just referencing in a in a recent episode of the show uh, with Linda Miller um, who experts in uh, change management uh, there's a lot of uh, things that we don't actually take into account when we look at the change management effects of technology and perhaps uh, we act too quickly and uh, just simply put something into a pharmacy business and, you know, think that it's going to solve all the problems. And, uh, you know, that can sometimes be the biggest problem sometimes if we're too gung-ho about it. But certainly in terms of the adoption, I think, you know, it's starting to become a little bit more prevalent. I think, you know, the biggest statistic that I always take away from those European pharmacy exhibitions is that uh, automation in Europe is, you know, approximating plus 30% of pharmacies will be automated, whereas over here we're about 3 to 4%. Uh, and, and certainly we've got a long way to go before we're realising all of the uh, value that they are. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, it re represents a, a large amount of opportunity. But I guess just quickly back to my reference there just around people and, and how that involves, because certainly the technology, you know, enables a lot of opportunity, but we can't ever realise that in our pharmacies without having the right people. I'd love to know, you know, what role have pharmacy team members and people played in your career and, and or contributed to your success? I think they've, they've had a, an in, incredible and extraordinary role when it's been the right mix of people. And it, it amazes me to this day within Australia how many teams that work in pharmacies um, whose neighbourhoods, whose clientele really count on them to be highly professional, very efficient, and um, to have some finesse in dealing with their health-related issues. How many of those are very ill thought through? Um, how there's often a lot of very unskilled uh, team members that are put in positions of great responsibility, how often they're lost in the day-to-day -day of their work with very little sense of perspective and guidance. 
and how there's very little done to look at systematic problems within a team. One of the uh, texts that has had a profound impact on me when I first read it and also that I try, well, it's part of the required reading for any new uh, key roles that are coming on to work in any of my stores and any of the stores that I would manage uh, or, or mentor is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni, which identifies a number of aspects of why teams work and why they don't work. And by particularly looking at why they don't work, it's helped me to classify the problems that uh, particular pharmacies have in reaching their goals, assuming they have any, and in being a stable and reliable resource to the communities that really come to count on them as a first line in the uh, community healthcare team. Yeah, no, look, it's a really interesting one because uh, sometimes it's, I guess, putting the, the cart before the horse sometimes in as much that we see uh, that, you know, we try to look at what we're trying to achieve and then try to put the right people in place rather than actually doing it the other way around and being part of mm. the uh, part of the culture. And I, I, guess, I guess from that nature, um, you know, going backwards, and you mentioned goals there as well, um, what other ingredients, um, you know, do you believe are required for that recipe for that type of high-performance team culture? Well, I think one needs to understand what the culture is, and cultures are built on core values. And core values are really the rules for that business's success, the rules that are lived by day to day. As, uh, as is said often about core values, um, and I've certainly spoken to a number of people that have put a lot of effort into educating others about the importance of core values. People like the CEO of Nurse Next Door in Canada, John DeHart, and Nurse Next Door, at least up until recently, was the premier place to want to work and ostensibly offer care services um, in the community to those that are in need of care. Um, so it, it has parallels with what pharmacy uh, stands for within this country, is you've got to have core values that all your team members can recite off the top of their head and, and understand what those values mean. There's no point in giving them a list that they've learnt by rote. The core values should probably be no more than three that really exemplify what you stand for. And it's... Again, great to have core values, uh, but you need to have a strategy. There has to be a goal to the business and what it's trying to achieve. And once you've got that working in unison, then a business has a, a whiff of success. Well, certainly in, in recent episodes, we've been talking about uh, Jesper Logren about discovering not only your personal purpose, but how you may apply that into your business and, uh, you know, see that strong connection, which can then flow through to your business goals and your team that uh, will help you deliver on those. And also, uh, I know a mutual colleague of ours, Tristan White from the PhysioCo and how he was able to engineer that into their business. And, uh, you know, ultimately, it meant that there was going to be a little bit of attrition in making that definition very well known and isolating those core values to actually see how they relate uh, to the individual business, not only then, but obviously where it was going to go over a five-year period. But, you know, I guess sometimes we can be a little bit too prescriptive sometimes in terms of the job descriptions and roles that we give our team. Um, and, you know, would, would you be an advocate for really clearly defining that or providing a, a guideline for them so that, you know, certainly you're not trying to, you know, sap all the inner innovation oxygen out of the uh, team as well? I think it's 
That's a very good question. And, and I'm going to, um, I guess, answer it in a couple of stages. The first is in terms of having really prescriptive roles and definitions from the outset, that feels to me, it's, as much as that's important, it's the cart before the horse. Strategy should be aspirational. Core value shouldn't be aspirational. And what I see when I go into a lot of different workplaces, particularly pharmacy, is these are our core values. And core values should be what you actually see the staff reflecting. Um, there's a mischievous colleague of mine in another industry um, who's an entrepreneur, and he'll go into other businesses and sort of... If, if he's allowed, he'll, and retail's easy to just stand in a store and see how people are performing, he'll say, well, the core values on the wall say it's uh, respect for others, innovation, and a whole lot of other generic things that turn up in core values. And he says, but from what I see, the things that are alive in the business are core values such as it's not my fault, um, the customer is 50% valuable to us because the other 50% of our time we seem to be doing something else. And when he speaks in such a way of a business, um, you think, yeah, well, that's that seems to be what these people are living every day. So there's an exercise called the Mission to Mars exercise where you discover the core values of a team that you currently have. And they're the qualities that are valuable to your customer, that are alive and the people that are there. <clears throat> we certainly went through that exercise with the Berk Street Mall team because if you had got me at the outset and said to me, okay, what, what should the core values be? I can put them up there, but people might not necessarily live up to them. They may actually be far away from the personnel I've got there. As valuable as it is to hire people on the back of core values, you've got to have some skill. You've got to have some ability applied there um, beyond just merely having uh, a Bachelor of Pharmacy or a Master's of Pharmacy or uh, a certificate for when it comes to dispensary assistance. So having, having that um, discovery process take place is valuable. And, and the two key things I remember about core values are it's a core value if you would fire somebody for not living it. Um, if you cannot fire them, then it's probably not a core value. And you would take a financial hit for a core value. Um, you know, when one of our core values is do the right thing, not the easy thing. And sometimes doing the right thing involves losing money because it's the right thing to do to uphold a principle. It might be an ethical principle. It might be a good business relationship that we're trying to uphold. And so I think if owners really study any core values on, on they've got on their wall or core values they think they have and go through the process and reverse engineer it with the actual people that they've got, the ones that they want to keep, the ones that instinctively they know exemplify what their business is about, then that's a, a better starting point. Now, beyond that, I do think it's important to have really specific job roles so that a person, when he or she comes into work every day, knows what a good day looks like and knows what a bad day looks like. And that's completely unrelated to what else is happening in their life or their emotional state that day. Is they know the two or three things they have to achieve every day to get them closer to what the role is there to achieve. Um, you know, with the, an intern that I <clears throat> interviewed for one of our client stores, they really want to build the um, professional services area and having an intern play a role around there as well as dispensing is going to help that. So that's part of their mission is to really boost the uh, professional services area, including S3 for that pharmacy. 
And that makes sense because the goals of the pharmacy are to increase overall trade and gross profit, overall trade by 15% and uh, gross profit by uh, two percentage points. And that can certainly be done effectively if you have the right people working for you with the right value set, also understanding what their roles are. But uh, yeah, I do see some very unwieldy, super complicated um, job descriptions in, in jobs that I've taken in the past before I became an owner. And when people share with me, uh, other owners, uh, some of their job descriptions to critique, they're far too detailed. And they almost set someone up for failure because if we think about whether we as humans have had a good day or a bad day, we're generally measuring it on one or two things. The, the minute we start measuring it on 25 or 26 things, the capacity for failure is greater because it's only 24 hours in a day. So hopefully that, uh, that unpacked the, the answer that, um, that makes a little bit of sense around that question. Oh, look, absolutely. And, uh, you know, my, my silence was, uh, you know, certainly taking a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of learnings from that as well because, you know, look, ultimately, you know, it, it, core values can, I guess, relate to people on two levels. One, in the business that they may be employed by but perhaps also personally. And, uh, you know, my, my, my thought around that is, you know, when do you determine that someone actually fits those core values? I think probably too often it becomes part of the induction process uh, in that this is what we this is what we strive for this is what we do um, do you go any deeper even in the recruitment process to actually determine you know whether people actually have those core values from the outset I know the great example and I'm a massive fan of uh, Zappos and how they have built their culture on core values and uh, some of the most highly skilled uh, technical engineers that they were looking to recruit actually fell out of favor because they weren't a good culture fit, they didn't resonate the core values. So do you look at core values um, earlier on, like even in your recruiting process? Absolutely. And and the interview process is really the time to be very clear and see evidence that somebody lives those core values. Firstly, one of the things that I've tried very hard to do is in my advertisements, um, where, where I've needed to, a lot of the time, I, I see if I need to get an ad up on Seek or, or anywhere else, I've, I've failed a little bit when it comes to recruitment. Um, I rely on a virtual bench, which is to say I've got a team of maybe three pharmacists, two dispensary technicians, an intern, and seven retail uh, team members and a store manager and a store assistant manager. For every one of those roles, I should have a virtual bench of about 10 names if I can get there. And sometimes I don't know enough people, so that's where I put the most amount of work in terms of networking, in terms of really understanding who is available that might want to take on that position should someone leave. Because then I'm succession planning that business all the time. It's not an exercise that happens maybe once a year. It's certainly not a reactive exercise that happens when somebody says, I'm going to resign for whatever reason. I'm constantly thinking about what's this team going to look like in six months' time, in one year's time. Um, you know, in Australia, we probably don't, and certainly within our industry, I mean, other industries do uh, fixed-term contracts. Um, and I think there's something to be said for pharmacy, looking at fixed-term contracts for all roles within the pharmacy rather than indefinite work, and then trying to have contracts ending at different times so you don't lose all of your team all at once. Um, so 
that's a bit of a digression, but getting back to the interview process, you can tell somebody's skill set generally, um, be it whether you're using a virtual bench or looking at their resume from those documents and from the work that they're currently doing. Um, what you can't necessarily tell is whether their core values are what they're showing you, be it in an interview process, being in a conversation that you have in a shop where you found someone that you think delivers great customer service and might be a good fit in your team. That's where I've asked in a lot of those ads for people to include examples of how they live the core values in cover letters. I can tell you, Robert, it's not easy to do. Mm. <laughs> I can put it there that people will have a ready-made cover letter and it's just another job they're applying for. And that's for me, is a litmus test that I probably shouldn't be hiring them. They just want a job. They don't want a job at that store with me and with that team. In well, which so, case, yeah. Yeah, well, certainly it, it relates, I think, to sometimes the mindset that they're taking to their next job in terms of perhaps what their previous employer had valued. You know, so many resumes I've come across over the years where number of prescriptions from a pharmacist is right at the top of the list of how many they can prescribe, I guess, dispense each hour. And, uh, you know, certainly, you know, the size of team they've been able to look after, uh, but never really enough about, you know, where they see themselves where they see themselves in five or ten years and, you know, what pharmacy means to them. It's uh, sometimes a very uh, inorganic process and uh, you can just see that it's just been copy-paste, copy-paste, copy-paste. And and that might be fine for other industries and other positions, but it's never really going to cut the mustard to build a winning team. And when I, when I was a, a younger pharmacist um, and I did a lot of local work, you can tell a winning pharmacy team from a non-winning pharmacy team because everyone's aligned towards the same goals and everyone's enjoying themselves and they're, they're filled with energy and that culture doesn't happen by accident. I mean, sometimes it does, but I would say a lot of those owners were very instinctively um, inculcating values within those personnel or selecting people that thought alike. Now I think we have this, this beautiful opportunity where... Gentlemen like Jeff Smart, um, who wrote the book Who, and prior to that, Top Grading, and, and Who is, I guess, the latest version of Top Grading, studied businesses for 20 years and said, what are the trends that, uh, in, certainly in hiring practices, that enable really successful teams? And to be able to, to have access to that in Australia and to apply that for the first time and, and see dramatic change in pharmacies has been very exciting for me. And I would urge as many owners or, or even just younger pharmacists um, who, who aren't decision makers right yet, but can influence somebody they work for to be a, a better decision maker for them to, to spread some of that knowledge is, is very powerful. So a, a great example is an interview I held on um, Wednesday of last week. Uh, for uh, a key position, key pharmacist position in one of the stores I manage where um, I asked the gentleman to share his personal core values and he had put some thought into them and I thought, okay, well, uh, he had five of them and two of them aligned with some of the core values of the business and then I asked for the examples and he did a pretty good job, I think, of, of giving me relevant and practical applications of those values. So I had a, a strong feeling that he understood what those values meant in a way that I understand them and that certainly everybody he's going to be working with who has been hired through this process would understand them as well. And that's encouraging because that immediately removes an obstacle when he walks into that team. 
Well, I'm sure if you didn't believe it before, you'd believe it now how powerful core values can be to your pharmacy's operations and particularly in steering your team forward without all the bumps, peaks and troughs and really heading in a strong direction. No key learnings this week. We're going to have them next week, but this week we're inserting the action step. So head across to robertstar.com forward slash episode 91 and you'll find a copy of the Mission to Mars core values discovery exercise that Seidel mentioned. And I recommend that you have a go at it particularly even just think about it in the next week to get ready for next week. Next week, the rubber really does hit the road where you will see how the core values act as this powerful filter in determining how you recruit and how you induct your team members into your team, which really also acts as that safeguard to make sure that you're not bringing in the wrong person into the team and destabilizing what may already be a very good platform for your team members already. And that brings us to our transformation motivational quote of the week, which is, The right people don't need to be tightly managed. They're self-motivated by the inner drive to produce. Brought to you by Jim Collins, who's had multiple references in this week's show. If you've enjoyed this week's show, leave a comment in the show notes. There's always space at the bottom, and I read and respond to every single one. And our guests, like Seedor today, who'll also be back next week as well, are also happy to respond to your questions individually. Have a great week, everyone, and I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Bye for now.